your responsibility starts when you arrive, but it ends at the end of the day. Anyway, I did that for a wee while, and always as a freelancer, and I thought, gosh, see that location manager guy? He's never here, you'll never see him. What does he do? And the more I sort of spoke to him about it, and I realised that he was away during the day setting up the other locations, and I thought, oh, I love that. And a big part of the attraction for me was that nobody knew where he was at any time. And I thought, well, I love that, because you're not just on the one location in the rain-soaked moor or in that crumbling church or in that person's house. So basically, I started saying, hey, can I come and be your assistant? You know, and, and I started again in that role. The phone would ring and it would be this guy saying, do you want to come out to me for a day? Or somebody else saying, here, you're in some location, come out for a day. And I mean, one day, one very, very memorable day, I spent the entire day standing in the middle of a field at a gate. And every time the minibus arrived with the crew in it, my job was to open the gate. It would pass through and I'd close the gate. And people were so full of pity for me, like, oh, you poor soul. But I just thought, I don't care. I love this. I am a part of this. And it all grew from there. And I think the attitude is absolutely the key. And I think I was just, I just had the right attitude, luckily enough. <laughs> anyway, so apart from having the correct attitude to stand in the field and do nothing and receive people pity all day, there are many other qualities you need. You need to be a people person. I love people. It's what keeps me coming back time and time again. If I find myself in a job that's misery, and there are many jobs like that, sometimes the basically the, the amount of individuals working together, the personalities don't gel, and for one reason or another, it's not a good job. There's always an end date, and I'm never on my own. So I stay for the team. The team hopefully stay for me, and we get through it. And there are lovely, lovely times when, in this industry, you have what I call reward jobs, and I'll show you a few clips of reward jobs later on. So being a people person is absolutely key because it's all about communicating. Commitment. I have seen people desperate to come into this industry. People who pester me, who want me to give them a chance, and I bring them on. And very quickly you can see it's not for them. And that's fine. It isn't for everybody. It's a tough game. You're basically being told what to do from start to finish every single day. And that's okay. But those who have commitment and those who will go the extra mile are the people who basically find a foothold and keep going. Tenacity, you've got to hang on. You might do a job and you think, that's fantastic, I've done really well. And then the phone doesn't ring. And suddenly the world is divided into two. The people who are working and the people like you who aren't working and you at that point feel that you're in the minority. The main thing is just to hang on and just keep keep going, keep your intent strong and do things like this, come along to events like this. Good communication, absolutely key. Um, if anybody's got a complaint, they come to the locations team. So often uh, there'll be situations where I'd be like, oh, can you come back? I, I was doing a lovely wee job a year or so ago, and I just left set, and the producer phoned and said, could you please come back to set? We've got a real incident with the man who lives in the news cottage behind his house. We're filming him. 
and I knew from the location owners that their relationship with this individual wasn't good. Um, before I got back, my assistant was on the phone saying, oh my God, he's using a circular saw and he won't turn it off. I've gone to speak to him. I'm really sorry, I'm so sorry, I can't solve this. I said, don't worry, that's what I'm here for. I'm the manager, don't you worry about it. this, I'll come and do it. So the producer and I rounded the back of the house to speak to this man, and basically this man wanted money. That's all it was about. And he used every excuse, every everything he could to say, I don't care, you're on the film for one day, I don't care, I received notification, I'm not trying that stuff for us off because there is no other day in my life I can't complete the work I need to complete for this circle or so. And to be honest with you, there are times when I just want to go, but you can't. Because at the end of the day, it's not about me and them. It's about, as in that incident, instance, it was the BBC. So I am literally representing the BBC, but also producer standing next to me. I never worked with her before. I also am keeping an eye on the future, and I'm going, I want to impress her. I want her to see that I can handle this. And I have learned, probably because I have two children, that when the pitch goes like that, I now come in like that. And there's nowhere for people to go if you don't meet them head on. So the situation was resolved. I am delighted to say it took a bit of time, but he eventually put that saw away and over my dead body was that man receiving money. Because this is what you will find the public want to do all the time. They want to hold you for ransom. They'll be furious that their neighbour's being paid, but they are not, and they will concoct a reason. Very rarely, I have to say. So, no money changed hands. He eventually calmed down and saw the reason. But it, it takes time to get there, honestly. Organisational skills. Okay, I'll be honest. People call me Ina. I don't care. I don't care. There's an awful lot of organisation required to do this, and you'll find out a wee bit about that later on. I'm an organiser at home, I organise everything. It helps, but I have colleagues who are not organisers, and I stand back and I watch how they also get the job done. You need an element of it. The more you have, the better, because it does help deal with it, everything when the flag is flying. So I would say, if you're an organiser, it's a huge benefit. Um, you have to manage your own time. So just always saying, where is she? What's she doing? I'm not in Starbucks. I'm not at the cinema. I'm working ahead. And sometimes you'll work with people and you get a sense that you go, the job I've just done, which was train squatting too, we had not a large team, but occasionally the production manager or the producer, producer <coughs> quite frankly, sometimes some occupations did, would say, where are you all? Why do you need so many people? What are you all doing? And I would sort of try and explain, you know, if you want to see it on the screen, we have to make this happen. So I'll just tell you now, where so-and-so is, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. So it's trying to get that message across without sounding very defensive. <laughs> um, attention to detail is absolutely key. If, for example, this was a filming location before I would come in here, myself and my team, and I would identify which member of the team would be the last person to leave this room, the photographs would be on their phone. We would agree in advance. I would go into the location owner and say, listen, do you know there's a big dent in that wall? Or, oh, and then at the end of the night, last person's out of the team, locations are here going, 
oh my God, was that us? And someone else would go, no, don't worry, don't worry. So it's that attention to detail. We have to be the last out for obvious reasons to put everything back and make sure the location's fine, because at the end of the day, the aim is you want to be asked back. The ability to be very flexible. So, in an ideal world, every production worker has a script. You might think, well, that's ridiculous, of course they will. Yes, they do have a script, because they'll have to submit that script to receive the funding. However, the draft of that script may not be the final draft. So, oftentimes, what will happen is, in your far too short hours of a day, day you will go and find locations, and then they'll come to you and they'll say, you see that to be cut. That's our job. There's no huffiness, it's a pain in the royal, royal pain in the ass, but that's fine. That is what locations are here for. We have to respond and be as flexible as we possibly can. And that includes things when you know, you know you've got 10 technical vehicles arriving, but for some reason the sparks didn't tell you they were having an extra van and you've only booked that amount of space. So we're here to basically go with the flow and meld with whatever situation presents itself. Not always easy. You have to be a good team player. Um, case in point, uh, I had worked mentoring um, a young, new person who desperately came to get into locations, and he became the first person on my team on a BBC job I did last year, and he was about as much use as a chocolate bar guard, which was a real shame because he had strength in one way, but he was not a team player. And what happened was, he was new. I think that it is my role to encourage people into the industry, to bring them on, not to judge, and be as patient as I can. And that can be very difficult because it's a really stressful industry. He and the other two of my team, we gave them as much space as we possibly could, but at the end of the day, he he had an inability to do what was asked within the time he was asked. And unfortunately what happened on that job was that the other two hated him. And I spent my whole time trying to sort of be between them. So it's tricky. He now calls me regularly for work and every time I say I'm terribly sorry but I'm really crude. I have tried to talk to him in the nicest possible way about what his shortcomings are, but he doesn't hear it. So unfortunately, he won't be with me again because he's not a team player and other issues. But being part of a team is number one for me. Uh, my right-hand person, hello, everybody. We've worked together for about seven or eight years. He's amazing. He goes the extra mile all the time. He's not moody. He's not judgmental. He is my rock, my support, and now he is about to become a location manager, and my heart is broken because he is incredible and of all the people I've worked with over the years he's just been through everything in the last eight or so years with me and he's fantastic so find one of them creative mind yes you have to be creative sometimes a director she might not know what she wants it's up to the location team no matter what name you to make suggestions to listen and be creative and think oh gosh, we don't have a big budget, how do we make the most out of this location? You know, oh, that corridor looks like a hospital. I'm also filming this room because we need electric theatre type place. Don't ever be afraid to talk, to make suggestions, and to do your homework, because that really helps, and that people will be so grateful for it. So 
So always bear that in mind as well. Be a good listener. I'm in awe of people who listen well because I talk too much and uh, I see people listening and sometimes I think, oh gosh, I don't know what's going on around. And blow me to they'll come out with fantastic things. The other thing about listening is that everything changes all the time, every day in a production. So I might start the day looking for that house with those requirements and I can take the direction of the designer and they might decide to speak to each other but I am constantly earwigging. I want to know what they're saying, what their thoughts are, because every place, every location you visit informs your ultimate, the director's ultimate choice of where to film. And lots of influences come in there. So you need to listen out all the time and not be afraid to say, what has changed? What do you think of that? Because they don't often know what they think themselves. But we need that amount of feedback say, oh right, yes, he said right, he didn't like the colour, a colour report. Do you know what I mean? It's taking little bits of that and then coming back in and saying, well, how about this instead? I love maps, adore maps. Um, I don't know how you are at map reading. The world has changed today with Google Maps and Street View and things like that. I don't have sat-nav and I don't mind getting lost because if I get lost, assuming I have time to get lost, I'm not late for an appointment. It means that I now know an extra bit of the map in my head. Um, I would recommend that you familiarise yourself with maps. The joy of maps is that north is always up, so you always know which direction you're facing. They tell you everything. I use uh, Orange Survey Land Rangers a lot, and I, just because I've used them for years and years and years, and because when I started, believe it or not, I just used the internet because I didn't I can now look at a map and go, oh, there's a church, oh, there's a church, there's a public house there, actually there's a bridge over that stream. It's a lovely, wonderful skill that will stay with you all your life, and I recommend, as strong as a small thing can be, look at maps, familiarise yourself with maps, learn to read them. You don't need to know your bearings and your eastings and your northings particularly, but if you can read a map, it can help you find locations. I was doing, I was working on a film for Hallmark One uh, called The Princess Stallion, and we could not find this hill that we had to run the stallions on. And uh, in this scene, it had to be a round hill with a, a lovely meadow in the middle, so American market, surrounded by trees, and the stallion had to come out of the trees. And my favourite on a southern map is in 57, which is strong charge. Oh, I was out and about on a weekend trying, looking at the farms and driving up tracks and I thought well, there's no point in going up there because I can see on the map there's a whole line of pylons. Anyway, whatever happened, I realised that that map was ancient. They basically renew the maps every couple of years. So I went, I bought a new map and lo and behold, the pylons had gone. So to cut a long story short, took the director up the track and that's the location we found out. And it was all because of a map and me being able to read a map. So who likes them? In this industry you have to get used to them horribly early. I personally don't like it when there's a four in it. However, on some jobs you just get used to it. Uh, and late finishes. Um, train spotting was a very unique beast. Um, I would travel to the office, which is roughly halfway between Glasgow and Edinburgh, 
I would get in, let's see, before we started filming, this is in prep period, I would get in, let's see, about six. If I walked to my own front door 45 minutes away before 11 o'clock at night, it was an early night. My family just got used to not seeing me and got tired of my bones. So it's just something we have to deal with, and very quickly you do, because again, you know there's going to be an end date to it. Paperwork, my job is paperwork central. My assistant's job is paperwork central. It is ridiculous how much paperwork we have to do. And there's every job I do, I go, oh my God, I could do my entire job without ever leaving the office because there's so much on top of you all the time. You know, part of my role in the scenery minute is contracting the locations. Find the location, the director likes it. After all the locations are chosen, I need to go to locations and negotiate the rate. I run a budget, obviously, and give an X amount to spend, and then I have to contract it, and each contract differs from every other contract because it relates directly to that house, flat, shop, road, whatever. So massive amounts, absolutely massive. Also, um, <coughs> this ties in with being the organiser, I run a contact list. When I'm in my contact list, which I am all the time, it sits open every day, I'm happy because everything's been neatly organised. So the scouts will come in, or whoever's in, and they'll show me their photographs today, and I'll say, OK, contact. You know, for Elden Gardens, Mrs. Smith, phone number, and that. It's saved every night, and it's emailed every night. Because it's emailed every night, it's never going to be lost. And then the next day, the date changes, and we start again. So at home, I have a couple of files of every job I have ever done. And people phone me up and go, right, look, 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 I need a this, I need an angle. Like what job was that? And I can just go to the contact list and run my finger down and go, oh, we, we shot in that street, oh, we didn't shoot in there, try them, and so on and so forth. So it serves as a wee backup, you know, just reminds you of things. And that's the key one as well, it's leadership. So, we're filming. The day has come, I'm there, assistants there, unit managers there runners there, or location assistants. Great, they're happy, I've said to the first assistant director, great, you're all settled, I'm off. See you later, you won't see me today, or I'll be back at the end. Then something happens, and just as I was explaining to you about the guy in the BBC job called and said, I'm so sorry I haven't been able to placate him, he demonstrated great qualities, he demonstrated leadership qualities, he was able to tackle, he tackled that situation and got as far as he could with it. So even though you think, oh, I'm just, you're never just. Everybody is important, and we are a team. So you'll find these leadership qualities coming out. It's like uh, one of the assistants on uh, train spotting said to me, I shouldn't sign up for this to go and knock on people's doors and ask them if we could do this or do that. And I said, but you did it. It is part of your job, and I need to see you use your initiative. It's like she's like, oh. Really, but I'm much happier doing such and such. So though everybody has their own strengths, part of my team can do things I'm rubbish at, and vice versa. And we recognise that. So we go, well, hang on a second. If you're not comfortable with that, could we do send somebody else on the team instead? But more often than not, with a small team, we all just have to get on with it all. These are just some of the jobs I've worked on over the years. Uh, another Robert Carlyle job, a BBC production called Looking After Jojo a long time ago. Commercials, 
That is where I cut my teeth. That's where I had my very first job, uh, Dr Finley. They, we made a, a series ages ago and then they revised it um, with David Rintoul and Ian Bannon. And that was a joy for me because it was period. I was as green as a green thing can be. I mean, the sound recorder, so much to my horror, taking me one day well into the shoot going, And I was like, oh my god, I'll never work again, kind of thing. But at least he was decent enough to have taken me aside to show me where I had incorrectly parked the generator. Um, that was a fantastic job. I loved it. it all over the countryside. We were never filmed in the city. Um, I'm going to show you a clip from this bonkers commercial I worked on later. I'm going to talk to you a lot about World War Z. Never Let Me Go, Andrew McDonald produced that film and I got a call one day um, saying we need a location in Scotland because the director wants to film this particular building which was at St Andrews University and I spent several weeks trying to persuade the university in the summertime to let me film and it was really difficult because the man who could give me the permission treated me as if, I don't know, as if I was about to rob them or something, it was a bizarre attitude. And I was having to say, but this is a large feature film, and Katie Mulligan's in this film, and so on and so forth, you can have a world-class director here, da 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 And it took a long time to get the permission, but we finally did. Um, a lovely, another BBC series, lovely other period drama. I didn't do the whole of this job. I had a one-year-old at home at that point, and uh, getting home at 11 o'clock at night on the first week, I then just turned around and said, do you know what, I'm going to leave this to you people to do. The script wasn't tight, it was going to be a box of probes that job, so I very gladly walked away from it, but I loved the time I spent on it. This was another film we did, um, that was all about timing. Um, I, in my early days, got a copy of something called The Film Bag. Do you guys, have you seen The Film Bag? The of who works in the industry, and I plucked a location manager's name out of it, and his name is Peter McAleese. He, today, is a very big international producer. And I phoned him up, I phoned a couple of other people up, but Peter said to me, sure, I'll make you a cup of coffee. So I sat down with him and said, oh, I want to get into the industry, blah, 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 and I got a job as a runner on this film called Salt in Our Skin. Years and years and years, and lots of work later, when Peter was a producer, he phoned me up and said, Laurit, I hadn't seen him for years, he lived in South Africa at this point. He said, Laurit, um, I've had scouts over the country, uh, England and Ireland, looking for a mental hospital because I want to film this film. However, my wife's about to give birth. I've got four days of money left. Could you go out and find a mental hospital that we can film in, and we need to do A, B, and C, D, and E with. And as soon as he said that, I thought, oh, I know someone. I know someone at Livingston. Anyway, to cut a long story short, by good fortune, life is all about timing. Bangor Village Hospital was about to close down. And I started that job in the October, I think, and we weren't filming it till March. And literally, the last board closed on the Friday, and our production moved in on the Monday in the March. That was a great film produced by, um, I've just forgotten who it's been produced by, George Clooney, that's who it was. 
Um, <coughs> lots of commercials, BMW. This was a commercial I did in Sky, it's what I call one of my wardrobes. It was for free clothing. And it was to be a 10 day shoot. And unusually, the photographer was this beautiful supermodel. Uh, and she was going to take photographs as well. So to cut a long story short, I had about a month to prep it all over the place. And part of the reason I had such a long time to prep it was <coughs> we wanted to decide on the day, each day, where to film. So to do that, we basically have to stand up all the locations, all 25 of them, whatever we had, on the understanding that we may not film all of them. So expensive, but they had the budget and a tough call. And then what happened was, we got there, the weather was absolutely atrocious, and uh, they said, you know what? We're not going to bother making a commercial at all, right? But they said, we're just going to do a still shoot. So we had 10 wonderful days of doing a still shoot instead of uh, bringing out all the toys and mass amount of crew. Pontiac commercial, Town, another lovely series. Another major, <coughs> for me, film a production called Doomsday. Um, Comedy unit stuff, Scott Squad, lots of things. Gary Tank, more, more comedy unit. Fast and Furious 6. Again, I spent a lot of time setting that job up, but having just done World War Z, I was going to make sure that I actually saw my children that summer holiday. So I accepted the job on the understanding that I would give them four weeks of my time and no more, and then basically arranged for a location manager to take my place, which was fine. Rab C, of course, book group. Do you remember these ideas that BBC used to do, Tai Chi and Loch? Oh my gosh. That was, these were underwater platforms that had been built. And unfortunately for us, we started filming that up at Glen Cove. D. Harry Potter started filming the second film. And we had closed one lane of the A82. The paperwork involved in that, you can imagine. But people drove up and just abandoned their cars and stopped the cars thinking we were Harry Potter. So we spent a lot of time going, get back in your car. People doing crazy things like running across the road with heads to try and see Hagrid and so on. Um, but we were armed with directions and stuff and said, well, go there, do that, da, da, da. keep driving, smell 30 minutes on and so on. It was, it was very funny. That was an interesting job as well because um, we had a, a, day, a day's rehearsal and a day to shoot it. And it's amazing. The director and the DOP, the director of photography, and the camera high agents, they would fly in by helicopter. And I remember the first day I had shown the director of the locations weeks before, but I remember on the tape Reiki and this helicopter coming in and these guys, I mean I call them camera gods. And it's like they got out and like they had their EVs or lead guns on. They were like gods, they were streamlined, beautiful people. You know, I like my Gortrix. <laughs> Hi, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. And they were amazing. But, and the demands were astonishing. I mean, there were vans going back and forth to Glasgow from Glencoe because, you know, the remote head on the camera had broken or this had broken. And it was, I mean, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was a tough job. But the rehearsal day weather forecast was fantastic. And the weather forecast for the day of the shoot was dreadful. So our call time on set, I think it was four o'clock in the morning each day, 
to, to basically to get everything prepped to be there for the light. And of course, we're all there and we're being fed and everything. And then just before, when everything's set up, boom, in comes the director, shoots it. However, we had massive amount of toys. We had a super techno crane, we had tracks going into the water. It was terrifying the amount of toys and toys. everybody was so nervous. We shot the rehearsal. We came back on the next day to shoot before the weather was to break at lunchtime. We wrapped it at 11 o'clock in the morning. And ironically, the forecast was wrong. Mine was even better on the day of the shoot. But you know, that's just what happens. Um, I'm going to show you this lovely wee Toyota I did last year later. Again, 10 Chinese water. And then that's the last one. The new transporting. So what I'd like to focus on today is how we basically translate what the director wants and how we deliver that as a locations team. George Square, I don't know if any of you have seen the film or were aware of what was going on. So it was a big number, it was five years ago. It was the biggest film at that time Glasgow would ever seen, and I think it's probably fair to say it still is the biggest film. Part of the reason for that is that we were closing a large part of the centre of Glasgow, which meant rerouting buses, affected all the public transport, we had to close down some businesses, we had a lot of compensation for us and other businesses and so on. So the director's vision was something like that. Now this is what we call a pre-vis, a pre-visualisation, and this two locations is a gift because our tech reiki was on the 2nd of June, but we weren't, start, we weren't filming until I think it was about the 18th of August, and <coughs> our office received that quite early. There's nobody else here other than a locations office. Everybody else was based wherever. It was all shot in Europe. But they were filming Malta first and not the UK, which means they didn't even look our way until about two weeks before they started to film. But this had come into the office. So we were able to go to people and say, this is kind of what it's going to look like eventually. You know, a lot of this will be done digitally. But other elements of it, of course, you know, all the traffic controls and stuff, we need to change, and it helped us bring the council round to what we were doing. Here's another one here, North Frederick Street, a bridge. We had to actually go and find the ramp, the on-ramp to that bridge. So they said, oh great, we quite like the on-ramp. So Kingston, can we close that? But the city said no. Transport Scotland said no. <laughs> so they did it somewhere else. And this is Cochrane Street. And this is what it looks like, more or less, in the film. And this is what I want to focus on today. Just taking this street, because this, on Marlowe's Eve, was the hotspot. This is where everything happened. Not least of all, our wee locations office <coughs> just out of frame here in a cafe. Um, we had to find somewhere to base ourselves, and with, believe it or not, even it's a massive, massive film, we had to watch our money very, very carefully. So we ended up in a window in this basement, in this cafe, and you could only get the internet if you were at this end of a very long table, so we were buying for that every day. So you go, well, there's a street, what do locations do? What do you have to do? Do you just have to close the road? Is that how you got on with it? No, unfortunately. Obviously, we find them, and we get the permissions. We have to find them. The production office, often we find a production office, a large part of my job is dealt with dealing with production offices. So, for example, you know, I can look at Six, eight, ten, Glasgow, Edinburgh, depends where the production went to base itself. As in train spotting, we looked in both cities and ended up somewhere kind of halfway between because they had the most fantastic uh, studio space attached. 
we talked about, I talked about contracting. <coughs> this is really important, recording the condition of everywhere you go before you film. We talked about and afterwards, and certain locations. For example, if you're filming in a castle or something, historic Scotland or the National Trust will want you to do something called a dilapidation survey, and you basically walk the area and you take photographs with one of their staff and you agree the condition, and then you do all of that at the end of the process. And you can save companies, production companies, thousands and thousands of pounds, you can imagine. Security, I'll talk to you next about that later on. Security, I consider part of the locations team because it's my responsibility to book them and to schedule their hours, to negotiate the hourly rate, I pay them where we need them, when we need them, how long for, and so on. And I have the privilege of working with the most fantastic security company, Zion Security, and had done so for years. And they are absolutely part of the locations team, are fantastic. Put the police and fire brigade. Um, put the police for many reasons. Uh, laws change all the time. But basically, uh, to have a dedicated police officer will cost you roughly 50 quid per officer per hour. And then the rules slightly change from city to city. In Strathclyde, over here, you have to have it for a minimum of five and a half hours. But their time doesn't start when they're standing in front of me, it starts back at their office. So for your five and a half hours, you're having for four and a half hours, and you see every production manager's face fall when you explain this, the amount of money they cost. We used to be able to just bring them out to hold the traffic. Nowadays, very recently that's changed. I need to back that up with some paperwork. So to do that, I'll have to have obtain something called a TTLO, a temporary traffic restriction order. So I pay a permit to have the traffic stopped and back that up with a police officer. Just for the record, I don't make anybody, don't let anybody do this to you. We are not allowed to stop the traffic ourselves. Health and safety, these three words are riddled throughout our industry and they are the most important thing. So you can't go, stop, because at the end of the day, it's your life. You don't want to do that. Get production to pay for someone to come and do it. Yep, road closures and traffic management, enormous part of the job. And train spotting, <coughs> I had two unit managers in that job, more than God bless her did most of it and it's fair to say sometimes I mean you know I'd be getting emails from her at midnight one o'clock in the morning and she tried to complete the paperwork because you have to produce a map you have to produce your arrows then you have to back up with paperwork and that goes to the council they have to give us the permission and then we have to employ a traffic management company you know class one or contra one of these main people um, HBS one of those who is on the approved list from whichever council you're working for. And they cost a fortune, absolute fortune. But they do everything. They'll put the signs up, they'll advertise it, <coughs> and so on. <coughs> and we have to remove street furniture, which to you means you know, a pillar or anything like that. Street furniture, scaffolding, more about that later, and they have to go back. And again, that costs a lot of money. Parking the units. The unit is um, an equipment-carrying vehicle. In Glasgow, but not in Edinburgh, Glasgow City Council Parking Department do not consider a unit car, whether they're carrying actors or whatever, to be part of the unit. Therefore, I'll say, well, can I have 20 bays? And they'll say, what's it for? And I'll say, well, I've got 15 trucks and five cars, or 10 trucks and five 
see anything on the track from the cars. And I go, Michael, because it's always the same man, Michael, can I go over the city again? The cars are not people coming to work, to park out for the whole day. They are drivers bringing the cast. Or we're actually using that car as a sound vehicle. It's actually a people carrier. It just looks like a car, but to me, that's, and so on. So these discussions go back and forward, which goes back to being a people person and being good at negotiation and trying to basically always stay friends with people. Notifying the public, massive, massive part of the job. And I'll talk to you more about that later, about the World War Z element, because you can imagine that was enormous. Um, providing alternative parking, that's a funny one. Because you don't always have to do that. But there are times when you do, and I'm going to chat to you about that later on as well. Filming in progress, and yes, we have to provide compliance to notify the public. So if you're filming in, as we were recently, Princess Street, <coughs> we have to provide, have made up these signs, which are basically legally binding in a way that we say you get your wording right and you, you know, double check with the company lawyer or whoever to get the wording right to say, you know, by passing through this area, you agree to have your likeness represented in the screen and you maybe use this part of a motion picture or a BBC drama or a comedy or whatever. Big part of our job is that. We have to put them up, we have to take them down, we have to store them securely, and most importantly, we're not allowed to lose them. Because often we lose things. We might lose coins, we might lose signs, and somebody goes, well, who put that sign up? Oh, so-and-so. Well, did you know I, I was at a different location? So where is it? Oh my God, it's in a lay-by up the 82. We're never going back there for that job. Damn it, we've lost that sign. That costs such and such. And so on. Toilet facilities. The glamour. The glamour. <laughs> Dining facilities, often, um, on train spotting, every day, we have to find someone for the crew to eat. So again, that impacts on your budget. You want to find someone that you can sit down. Does the hall have tables? Does it have chairs? What are you know, the hours it's available to us, etc., etc. Crowd holding, that's key. Yes, we often have to, well, occasionally, not often, occasionally we have to put Marquees, depending on where you are again. All location uh, is specific. Green rooms, somewhere for the actors to sit. Brad on World War Z had his room decorated for him. It was lovely. And it was beautifully decorated room. I don't know if he was better than it. Um, makeup areas, that is absolutely standard because at the end of the day to save time. So say for example, say I'm doing something for the college unit, it might be a sketch or something. But your unit base is there, but the actor needs loads and loads of makeup changes. Then I need to find somewhere to put the table, makeup, power, water, etc., etc., so we can not lose time by putting the actor in a vehicle, driving them back to base, getting them changed there, back in the vehicle, back to set, and so on. Unit base, that's where basically we bring all our big fleet of trucks, you know, costume makeup trucks, our honey wagon, as we like to call this kitchen, etc, etc, and it's basically where we all arrive in our cars and park our cars for the majority of the day. <coughs> yep, we deal with the rubbish as well. Rerouting buses, that's key for us and it takes a long time and we don't often have the lead in time that we want. Permits, again, they cost a lot of money but we can't put up a crane or a cherry picker or anything like that without these permits. 
and it's up to the location team to identify and to work closely, go to the best boy you know, in the lighting department and say, what do you need out of me? Do you need, when do you need them? Say, oh, that's great, you don't need that until Friday. Say, well, yeah, but we thought we'd get it there on Thursday. And go, if you get it there on Thursday, you're going to need a permit, but a permit's X per day, and the prices vary depending on which council, and they want a five-day lead-in, but I can't, and then, and then that's because you need to find person I'm so sorry to be such a pain in the neck, but can we bring the parent forward and so on? And yes, I'll give you another whatever it is. So these are absolutely key. Filming from vantage points, it seems nothing, but it's really important. Um, we had loads of vantage points in World War Z, and that meant that there had to be a location person to let the crew who were doing the filming from the vantage point, which will be you know, B camera, C camera, D camera, whichever one, they had to be there at six or five. Or so it's all the negotiations, it's all the arrangements of that involves as well. Public pineapples. I mean, that sounds ridiculous. But on World War Z, we had a list of all the different uh, private bin companies, where they collected the bin from, on which day, because they couldn't get up the streets. So we had part of our team, there were 25 of us in the location too, and we had the bin team. And the bin team would pull the bins out every day to the meet point, which we pre-arranged with Biffa or whoever it was, to get them and to take them back. But before you can even do that, you've got to go to the business and say, say your bin, we're going to have to da, 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 and honestly, we'll move them for you. And you need to build up a relationship and so on and so forth, so they trust you enough to let you do it. LiDAR and body scans, anybody know what LiDAR is? I didn't either before I did World War III. It is basically a scanning process so that we can make these buildings look taller and do everything with CG. And to do that, it was just announced one day, oh, the LiDAR team are coming next week, which means that street has to be clear of cars. They're going to come in as soon as the sun comes up at, let's say, four. They will slowly move along the street. They will photograph every building, and then we can bring the trucks back. So that employed more people, more time for us. It was massive. But the result is, of course, all that lovely CGI. And then, of course, the maps. Movement orders, part of the locations team, no matter what job you're on, we have to get people there. So we spend a massive amount of time writing movement orders. You know, turn left out to the production office and proceed to the first set of traffic lights. Turn right, continue for half a mile. Take the next exit at junction four onto the motorway, and basically we, write, we put it into this document. We provide a map with arrows on it to go with it. And then if that isn't bad enough, one of our team goes out and puts signs every turn before the unit that morning, and then that person's taken down at the end of the day. And people just turn up and go, nice use of that. So the day is going to come when one of my movement orders will simply be a postcode. <laughs> so who's in the location team? Location manager, although when you work on a big production, there is a supervising location manager, and that supervising location manager oversees everything, and some of the other location managers basically we carve up the locations and give them. So on train spotting, I was the supervising location manager, had two location managers, two unit managers, and so on. <coughs> Assistant location managers, basically self-explanatory, like Barry's been my assistant location manager for years, 
super close, he can virtually do my job. So he is the person I rely on, super open, <coughs> basically just about, somebody's just about to step up. Unit managers, unit managers deal with things I don't have to do, I don't want to do. We're just parking the unit bases, parking the trucks on the streets, all that kind of stuff. Fantastic, invaluable. But interestingly enough, when train spotting, two unit managers did totally different jobs from each other. One of them was filming with the unit every day, and Morgan, the second one, did all the parking, all the permits, all the permissions, and did a lot of assistant location manual as well. So that the lines blur, the rules blur, and that's part of being super flexible. Location assistant, so that is really the person who's doing the bins on set, they're on set all day, they're cleaning the toilets as well. And a location runner, if you're lucky enough to have a production of a budget to give you the location runner, they are new and keen and eager and will be doing lots of things and being trained on the job by the location assistant and everybody else up the line. Scouts. Scouts, what's a scout? A scout is somebody who goes out and scouts for locations, and a scout can be anybody. You're a super experienced person, but a scout is any of the above, including myself, but somebody who's available to for locations. And on big jobs, you need a lot of scouts. And people will say, I'm available Monday, Tuesday, is that okay? And you go, great, I need you so desperately, great. And they'll come in and I'll give them the brief. Some scouts I never see, never see, and because they're so experienced, I can just pick up the phone, talk to them about the brief, <laughs> tell them how I want the photographs presented, and they'll do it that way. They don't need to travel the distance into the office because it'll just be emailed across and then the photographs, I can then present them to the director. The scouts are invaluable, and you want to, you go, who knows Edinburgh really well, or who knows Glasgow really well, or who's been up in the sky recently, and so on and so forth. Security, I consider part of my team, because we spend so much time with them. They're amazing. Zion just say, right, fine, uh, we're going to want the cones out, we'll put the parking cones out. So, for example, we want to park in Cochrane Street, we don't have the road closed, but we need all these paint display bays empty. I've paid council money to occupy all the paint display bays. However, the paint display bays are active till six o'clock at night. That's no use. I know I can turn up a minute past four, put in my statutory two hours, T6, whatever it is, and I can be there till eight o'clock the following morning. A film crew, any crew doesn't want that. <coughs> so what I'll do is, Security will be employed, and they'll be floating around at 3 o'clock in a high-vis jacket with a large stack of cones. And as people start to walk through the cars, I'll say, hello, so just to let you know, you may see my yellow colic sign, just to let you know, this parking suspended tomorrow, and we sometimes tell a little white lie. In Glasgow, I never have a tow truck move a car. In Edinburgh, we do it all the time. I turn a blind eye, it's part of the payment. In Glasgow, it costs £200 a pop. So I don't pay it. So we do an awful lot of work with the public. Security does a lot of work with the public overnight. I'm nice and cosy in bed. Security are all night making sure that when we arrive the next day, there's not a single truck on that road. And I will receive a text. Probably before I go to bed, I'll text them and go, how's it looking out there? Road's clear or sort of right over on the stop of a car. That sort of thing. As soon as my eyes open in the morning, text. Security roads clear. So that way they are working with our department. So incredibly helpful. So what we need to know is <coughs> what size is the shoot? So World War Z, oh my god, how many are going to be in the crew? Is it 50, is it 100, is it 100? 
200? Oh my God, because what? By knowing that you're selling, you're selling at every location. Know a bit about who you're working for, what's the director done before, what's the production company done before you, anything you can to get through the door to get people on your side. When are we filming? Oh great, we know our date, but we don't always know that. I say, oh, we've got a six week shoot. At this point in time, all I need to know is, is the location available between this date and that date? And as soon as I'm going to let you know. And I'm really front, upfront with people. I do not spare the horses. I say to people, I'll tell you now, I've got no idea. It will not be until the week before the filming starts, the spark of the six weeks, that I can tell you, is that okay for you? I'll also say to them, and by the way, I've only got this amount of money in the budget, so that we understand each other really early on. <coughs> is there a schedule? Not always until the last minute, unfortunately. And what the budget is. So, because I'll often say to a scout, oh, can you just say, tell them now, I've only got 100 quid for half a day, or we've got a decent budget this time, you know, they'll get a grand, whatever. As long as that sort of dialogue happens, and some of them go, oh, have I got responsibility to do that? Do I really have to talk money? Or was he couldn't speak to me, or whatever. So, you're trying to enable your crew all the time as well. And the scouting restrictions. Um, if the script says, as a script I read recently in a water sports area in Leith, I'm like, water sports in Leith, water sports in Leith, we've got one in Glasgow, absolutely. Don't take what's written on the page as gospel. Go to your director continually, check and check and check and check. What is it you're looking for? Is it still that? Have you changed your mind? How about this instead? Oh, you had drinks last night with so-and-so, now you want that. So it's being informed the whole time. Some of the crew on World War Z, um, just some of us, what you don't see here are the crew who are working in Grangemouth, the crew who are working at this big shed we had in the south side, the crew who are working in the supermarket set in the south side, and many of the crew who are working in our uh, BAM building, as we call it, because the company BAM owned it at that time, and it had costume, makeup, dining, and so on. And then that's what happens, the clock starts to tick, because everything has a time. Never ever have enough time. The lead in times are far too short for every job. That's usually what my brain looks like. <laughs> and that's what I want it to look like. That sadly doesn't usually happen until almost the end of the show. This is what Mark Forster wanted. This is Cochrane Street. Our wee office was in there somewhere. So the joy for us that we were writing the plot. So basically, that was his vision, and that's what we had to create. We didn't close all of George Square. This kind of stuff was done with CGI. But basically, all the nuts and bolts of that is what we were doing, because we wanted to create a crash sequence. That lovely truck smashed through all these cars and ended up sitting in this corner for over a week, just like that, with the public being able to walk around and see what we were doing. And that was it. So now I'm going to show you a couple of, well, I'll start with this clip uh, of the man himself. And this is basically the scene at the start of the film that we did in Cochrane Street. And apologies if there's buffering going on. But if not, I've got another one I can show you.
So that was the key part of, uh, of my role here. Now here we go, there's Cochrane Street, great. The council given us permission, we've booked our road closure of weeks and ahead, everything's great. I just stepped out of the office, which is on the right hand side here, and then that appeared one day. And I remember phoning Michael Harm, the other location manager who was down in London, going, Michael, you're not going to believe this, and sending him this photograph. Glasgow City Council, at that point, 2011, were redoing all their offices under a scheme called Tomorrow's Offices. And although, by this point in the proceedings, two months the prep, the planning had been going on, they hadn't communicated it to the entirety of the Tomorrow's Office team. That had gone up. So that involved me phoning the film office, having meetings, and then going into this meeting with these men. And one of them was one of the construction team who was there in his work boots and everything. He just went, no, 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 not taking it down, no, we've got our schedules for it, no. And then we sit and going, it has to come down, it has to come down. So, here we have, ding, the scene. Shot, here's Brad coming out of the car, here's that lorry, 48,000 pounds that cost to take down. Very painful. But, you know, just round the corner, one street parallel, bang, another one. But this time, by good fortune, we only paid a small amount of money to get this building site removed, and they were able to live, <laughs> to live with that the way it is. These things are all under the responsibility of location. Everything. Any little glitch, they come to us. Anybody know what a silk is? I used to think silks were just something that the spark popped out on a little lovely sort of like pop-out tape type thing. Piece of white fabric, they use it with sunnies to deflect. Not in this job. These are silks. And you see the shadows they cast. So because they were going to computer generate tall buildings, we needed to cast the shadows. So yours truly had a lovely job. There's our street, there's the buildings that are going to cast the shadows. I need to get permission from every roof on each side of that street. This one, this one, this one. And this. Now these two buildings belong to Glasgow City Council. Fine. But the others didn't. So basically the process involved is you speak to the horsesmith, you always speak to the horsesmith, finding out who can give you permission, being permitted to access the roof, find a risk assessment so you can get onto the roof, take your health and safety badly with you, survey the roof, take the photographs, assess myself, could the rigging team actually rig from this roof, bring the rigger up once the permission's in place, and then negotiate the contract with each of these companies agree a fee, and then again agree the access points for the rigging team. That little lot, by the way, cost £100,000. We did it in Coven Street and again in George Street. And guess what? We didn't need to. We didn't need to. But they had the budget. I mentioned earlier providing alternative parking. There we go, lovely Cochrane Street. We've got our road closures, we've got our silks. We've got other things in place. But what's in there? 64 underground car parking spaces. Some of them 
are paid for five grand a year by the residents in the flat. Some of them are used split between two offices. So what's involved in that? A lot of time, a lot of tactful letter writing, a meeting. And then what do we do? There's your letter, what a letter, and this basically went up in the underground car park after the factor for the flats had obtained permission. We have to find those alternate parking. Yes, closest alternate parking. But it might be dark, or you might have heavy shopping, or you might be a person who's always not happy. So each person gets a taxi. From that car park, even though you live in kind of that building there, parking, and the other thing is for three weeks, 24 hour security on these 64 cars that were moved. So we pay MCP, we pay security, we pay taxis, and we also pay every single resident to move the car. Security, I love so much, as I said. We have three security companies in World War Z. <coughs> Basically, Michael, the other location manager from England, he worked with this lovely company called Above the Line. Fantastic. They had 12. And then Glasgow City Council's event planning team use G4S. So because they are marshals, they were used to dealing with public, great, we use them. But the main people at the hotspots were Zion. So you would basically round a corner and meet a barrier, and there would be somebody from Zion, and there'd be somebody from G4S there. And above the line, we're scattered between George Square and our other locations. Absolutely key. It is a job in itself, just coordinating all the security shifts and so on. And they, these are reinforced at night by police officers patrolling as well. But they do amazing things. And Zion is one of these companies who also provide 4 by 4 vehicles. They, they can just turn their hands so much. And on World War Z, just because it's such a small world, through Zion, we had our big building that we put the costume makeup in that band building. They were able to supply us with staff to basically clean it all out for us. They were just an incredibly invaluable company. So, yep, I love security. I keep them close and I would do anything, anything I can to help them. Replacing street furniture. So we were turning Glasgow into Philadelphia. That involved changing all the street lights and so on. So, poles. These, these things are simple. But streetlights are not so simple. That involved the company Siemens. We, had, we would go to Siemens Yard with the designer. We would talk about how we could make it. And these people, who bear in mind normal jobs with not enough hours in the day, are stepping up to the plate going, absolutely, gosh, what a challenge. We're creating you know, American street signs in Glasgow, all different ones with the street names over it. All of these, all done by Siemens. The telephone box is another piece of street furniture. We needed to have that box removed. That took a long, long time through BT, and to be honest, in the end, it was prohibitively expensive. At that point, we decided just far too much money. <coughs> the other thing we did further along at George Street is, you know the advertising hoardings, the rolling advertising hoardings? We had to put our own adverts on that. But they are priced per minute. As to, so for example, the hoarding in George Street, one way street, I didn't think it cost a lot of money, was a fortune because it was a category E advertisement because cars can be stationary when they're sitting next to it. So again, it's another part of street furniture that you have to take into account. We have to protect the streets. So a big part of this job 
Anybody know what these things are called? I didn't either. They're called carials, and you'll start seeing them everywhere now. I've talked to you about them. We had to put them here, and that's Caution Street again, and you'll see why, obviously. And it was amazing, and it was amazing for me to learn from Michael, because I would see Michael basically saying to Glasgow City Council or Department, this is what we're going to do. No, this is what we're going to do. And he came with these film background. So he had all this shorthand, and he would say, trust me, I'll protect your buildings, and we're going to be done by this. And, and you could see these people going, well, we have to take them on good faith. I know our building was built in 1888. I know what they want to do. But this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So that's what we did. We put the K-rails <coughs> along the street. Guess which department's responsibility is to hire the K-rail, the staff to do it, and the plant required, and to get them taken away again. Yes. Our department. To create the crash, we also had to alter the tarmac in the road. So the embedded screws in the road, they wired up lots of these cars underneath the cars involved in the crash had no engines, so there was no risk of explosion and so on. So the cars were control shunted, so they couldn't just spin off and smash through the windows, you know, of the Lord Provost office or something. I'm going to show you a wee video. Um, I took this to apologize in advance. But this is basically ultimately what we were <coughs> aiming for again. You've seen the real bit. This is the vantage point I had. It takes a wee bit of time to start, but when you see people going, that's our underground car park space. We utilise that, as you can see. These are all stunt performers. Um, and then, to me, it was an absolute joy that that was able to stay where it was for over a week. And uh, you can see here, you know, here's the public. See these guys? They're like desperate to get a closer view. But you can see here with our crowd barriers, they were open. And at night, what would happen is, because security is 24-7, the crowd, the, the public, we were all able to walk up. I did it, took my family down, we were able to walk up. And they had the dummies, loads and loads of dummies in the cars. And the photographs people took, they were straight onto the internet. It was fantastic. And I think that amount of public access helped with the success of the film to us. Because, yes, certain things are, were covered up there. But we actively sought to keep uh, the public as close to us as we possibly could all the time. And that basically was one of the aerial shots, because guess which department has the responsibility for the helicopters? Yes, we have to provide somewhere for them to land. We have to speak to the Civil Aviation Authority, we have to deal with the police, we have to do all of that as well. Um, so we had a lot of aerial shots going on here, and there's our lovely zombies, lots and lots of CGI in that. And basically, sometimes it can seem too much 
not crazy use hands, no ones. And that really goes for every single job. We do what we can, as well as we can, with the best attitude we can, sometimes we just can't. So that's it. literally. I'm not a sleeper. So finally the alarm's going off at horrible o'clock. Then I, I clock watch through the night. A lot of anxiety, a lot of nervousness. Um, I think that one of the, the trickiest days was on stag. In fact, we couldn't even have a look at these. I'm going to show you a wee clip of this lovely BBC production I did in the last year. It's called Stag. It's a three-part of the BBC Two. I loved this job from the first to last. I had to work really hard to get the job. There were lots of other people up for the role. But fortunately, it came my way. Partially the reason is because it's, it's outside. And it was going to be a challenge. We're filming in May and June. We'd have a lot of night work to do at the least amount of night hours. We were in the landscape, it was lochs, it was glens, we were 2,000 feet above sea level and we were blowing up a dam. And that was one of us, our most challenging days because I had to get a lot of people, a lot of stunt people, a lot of special effects people up to this dam on a single track road which was two mile drive. Keep them there all day, feed them, make sure they had loo facilities, make sure we had um, enough uh, medical attention and so on and so forth and we only had one day to do it. The amount of things that could have gone wrong that day, including the weather, we didn't have the best weather, we didn't have the weather we wanted, but we did manage to achieve it. And sadly, that's not in this, but you'll see some of the other issues that we had to contend with when you watch this. Now the last day of that shoot was on Loch Cashin when they were rowing across the loch. Of course it was a nice shoot. And we had a massive deer rate for the sparks with loads and loads and loads of lights down at this uh, lovely boathouse on the loch. So we, let's say we finished filming at one o'clock in the morning or something. The single track to get there and the single track back and our walkies we didn't carry. So it took about time to get all the crew out, to get the crew there in the first place. Again, location's responsibility to provide metal trackway, in this case actually we used plastic trackway, on the verges to just give us extra spaces to park 
lots of permissions required from Scottish Water and so on to do that. Anyway, crew were away, they were back at Stronachlach at base, packing up, and there were two of us left in the team. Another one of our team was at that big cottage, wrapping that cottage. Two of us were left, and you're in the middle of the low side. So the road is shorter distance that way, or a longer distance that way. I had to go back to unit base. I happened to be, my accommodation was 